Hi everybody, this is Sam from the That Was Genius podcast, just to let you know that what you're about to listen to is the pilot episode. It was recorded before we really knew what we were doing and we were just trying things out a little bit. That means that unfortunately it was just recorded over Skype, which means that the sound quality isn't really up to our usual excellent standards. It also means that we um and are a little bit more than we do later on. So with that in mind, please don't judge us too harshly on it. It was just the first. Anyway, I'm going to stop making excuses now, so enjoy the show. I'm ready. Are you ready, Tom? I, I was born ready. Excellent. It's time for another episode of possibly called That Was Genius, possibly called Something To Do With Boys and History, possibly working title Pythagoras Didn't Eat Beans. It's the pilot episode. Woohoo! Insert party sound effect. <laughs> nice. Nothing anticlimactic about that at all. <laughs> for anyone who ever hears this it may or may not go out it may or may not be released in public this is the pilot episode of your now favourite podcast being recorded in what is in the UK a very cold and grey January day and what is, I predict in New Zealand a wonderful summer's evening I still don't believe that the earth is round by the way this is purely a trick of the light excellent, good well I, I don't take vaccinations either so I think... <laughs> I think we're I think we are a perfect match. That explains so much. Um, so welcome to the as yet unnamed We Love History podcast. The concept is simple. Each week we set ourselves a topic or a theme. Uh, this week it's historical figures, and then we take it in turns to amaze each other with something that we've never heard before. Hopefully. Mm. Yeah. Interruptions completely allowed, swearing, fucking A. And um, more or less anything goes. Excellent. I like it. Good. Who wants to? St- who's going to start today? Should we flip a coin, or shall I just randomly assign one of us to go first? No, let's flip the coin. Let's flip the coin. Okay. Yeah. Fairest way. And we are both obviously subjects of uh, Her Majesty the Queen, so it's all fair play. Actually, do New Zealand coins have queens on the head? Good question. I think they do actually. Oh, is she still head of state here? Yes, they're, they're definitely still head of state. So I think you're right. Yeah, they, we do have the Queen on our coins. I love that you've lived in New Zealand for what four years now, and you still don't know what the coins look like. I know. I know. I think that's more, uh, you know, a statement of modern society, really, isn't it? You know, plastic society. Um, so no, I have no idea. I, I can't. I don't even have any coins near me to find out. <laughs> I can tell you what my credit card looks like. Yeah, right. Let's be modern and flip a credit card. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to flip the coin. Uh, Are you calling heads or tails, Tom? I'm going heads. You're going heads. Coin has landed. It's heads. You win. You go first. Go on, Sam. Off you go. Uh, Well, I've prepared. I prepared some music for this, which you're not going to be able to hear because of the way we've set this up. But I've got some good kind of um, slightly, slightly westerny, proud music going on in the background here. Beautiful. There we go. And today I am going to talk to you about... Sorry, I'm just going to... Oh, this is very loud. Hold on. There we go. Slightly less patriotic. Today I am going to talk to you about a lovely young man called Leo Majeure, a.k.a. Force Majeure, a.k.a. Hell hath no fury like an angry Canadian. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, And... uh, 
how do you spell his name? I mean, you're, you're pronouncing it like just a slur. Um, <laughs> how, how do you spell his name? Well, he is uh, Leo Major, is French-Canadian, so it's spelled Leo Major. Okay, good. Um, but there's a kind of a little hat on the E. On the, on the, right. there's, there isn't even an E in his name, actually. There's a little hat somewhere. It's pronounced Frenchly. French, yes, in, in a French manner. I might start pronouncing John Major's name like that. Jean Major. Jean Major. <laughs> or um, what are the French footballers? Thierry Henry. Yes, Terry Henry. Terry Henry, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Leo Major. Leo Major, who was born yeah. in 1921 to uh, French-Canadian parents and grew up in Montreal. So, as you can imagine by his name, this is a story of heroism in World War Two. Um, nice, tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> well, like a lot of people, he didn't get on with his dad and he uh, he decided he <laughs> wanted to... Hold on, hold on, what? was that Freudian, Sam? <laughs> is this because um, have I become a psychologist? Do we, do we need to explore this? Um, no, let's gloss over it and move swiftly on. Uh, <laughs> okay. Like some people, he didn't get on with his dad, and uh, and so okay. ran away and joined the army. Uh, went to mm. go and have an adventure and fight the Nazis and give the Bosch a good old boshing. Um, yeah. That that sounded better in my head than it came out. Um, kick up the arse. Uh, kick up the arse for old yeah. for old Adolf. And <laughs> sure enough, in 1940, he joined the army and was present at D-Day in 1944, landing with Canadian troops. And uh, he pretty quickly made a name for himself, just among his peers to begin with, because a couple of days later, he single-handedly captured a German army vehicle packed with codes and, and German radio equipment. He did very well. He didn't die, and then he did something special. And this was the first level of Call of Duty Canada, if you like. In Call of Duty, do you get, like, bosses at the end of every level, like in Super Mario? I, I don't know. I've never, I've never played Call of Duty. No, and I haven't played a computer game since about 1995. So, <laughs> so, so I'm imagining a giant mushroom or something as the boss. <laughs> Uh, we shall see. We'll find out later in the story. Um, <laughs> but I might drop the computer game analogy uh, as <laughs> a result of neither of us having a fucking clue. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, good call. So anyway, he's done very well. They're already very proud of old Leo. However, all took a turn for the worse because several days later in his first fight with the feared SS, he lost an eye when uh, he single-handedly took on an entire patrol of SS and one of them threw a grenade at him. It's quite arrogant. I mean, that's quite arrogant, isn't it? Doing it with one hand. I mean... <laughs> with the other one behind his back. Come on, you Nazis. I'll take you on one-handed. Look, I'm hopping. I'm hopping. It might well have been just, yeah, I, I, I'm imagining something a little bit like the scene with the Black Knight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's Go only on. a few days into D-Day. He's established himself as an accomplished sniper and scout, but he's lost an eye in a battle with the SS. Most people at this point would be sent home. There's not much you can do with one eye in war. You need to be able to look around. But he said, no, no, I'm a sniper. I only need one eye to look down the scope of my rifle. We'll slap a Good pirate's point. patch on and I will head right back out there because this guy, this guy's tough. 
So anyway, you've got this pirate Canadian running around northern France now, generally causing uh, causing bother. But his big break came in 1944 at the Battle of Zeeland in Belgium and the Netherlands. And after being sent out to find a whole company of new recruits who'd just gone missing, on his own, by the way, because his usual pal, who is called, and we shall not laugh at the dead, but was called Willie Arsenal... <laughs> Willie Arsenal. Willie Arsenal. <laughs> I'm, imagine, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining got... a big warehouse full of explosive dildos. Oh, I was just thinking of a massive weapon. <laughs> lads, lads, lads. Nice. <laughs> um, anyway, he usually went out with this guy called Willie Arsenal. But Willie Arsenal was poorly. Sick Willie. So... I'm going to stop with the Willie jokes. I'm not going to stop with the Willie jokes. So Leo went out. On his Todd to find an entire missing regiment, oh. or a time missing company of Canadian soldiers. It's wet, it's cold, he's had to cross a canal whilst evading the Germans. He's really pissed off. So alone in the rain and the mud, he spots two Germans walking along. And he says, quote unquote, you're not going to be walking for much longer. Yes, he has catchphrases now. It's very threatening. That was a, yeah, that's a very threatening thing to say, wasn't it? That is very threatening. Being a Canadian, he was kind of nice about it. Rather than kill them, he um, he captured one, as you do, being alone behind enemy lines, and then used the one he captured to lure the other one and capture him as well. And uh, so here he is. He's behind enemy lines. He's in an... How, sorry, how do you use another soldier to lure another soldier? Um, I expect he asked him to whistle femininely in German. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> to pretend that there's a beautiful Fraulein hiding around the corner. Yeah. Oh, hello, <laughs> hello, oh soldier, you're looking very strong. Oh, hey, handsome. <laughs> yeah, oh, why don't you come in here? <laughs> into the bush, the muddy bush. Why not show me your pistol? Yes, come into this darkened alley. <laughs> With your pistol above your head. Yes. <laughs> I find it especially sexy when men walk with their hands up. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I, I think that's exactly how it happened. The sources are uh, the sources are somewhat vague about the exact <laughs> happenings here. Carry on. So yeah, so he captures these two German soldiers. He's behind enemy lines in an enemy occupied town. What do you do, Tom? What do you do? I'll tell you what you do, Tom. You say to them, "Hey, you two captured German soldiers. Take me to your officer. I'm going to force the entire town to give up." Um, which is mad and brave, and he must have been incredibly charismatic because they did, and the officer did indeed give up the entire town. Maybe, maybe Leo Majeur threatened the soldiers with telling them the, the senior um, how he'd captured those two. Is that right? If you if you don't take me to your leader, I'll tell him about how I caught you both by pretending one of you is a dirty little German lady. And they were like, "Oh, okay, yeah, all right." That's oh, quite embarrassing. Shit, rumbled. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, okay, we'll take you. Just don't tell anyone. <laughs> well, anyway, the, the German officer, for some reason, with a single Canadian in his town demanding his surrender, the German officer and his entire garrison of 100 men gave up. I don't believe They it. gave up and they surrendered to Leo on his own. Just uh, like that. Just like that. Literally <sighs> just like that. And um, And so Leo starts marching these guys back through the town. Bastard SS show up again, don't they, Tom? Oh. I know, those wankers. So what do they do? They start shooting at them. And oh. 
faced with very a barrage. Rude. It is very rude. Faced with a barrage of machine gun bullets alone with a hundred Germans who are getting shot at and are now quite scared, I imagine. <laughs> Leo just soldiers on. He marches them through the machine gun fire, through the town, and back to the Canadian lines. Ninety-three of the Germans survive, and he single-handedly gets back with the Germans. Not with the Canadians he was sent out to find, mind, but with quite a lot of Germans instead. <laughs> so do we know what happened to the Canadians? Um, actually, we don't. I did look into this, and uh, I think they were they were eventually rescued, but they had been captured and taken off to a prisoner of war camp. They weren't anywhere near. But the, but the Germans who captured them pretty quickly gave up. I think they, they knew that the, uh, their time had come. When you saw Leo Major walking over the horizon, you'd have been like, whoa, fuck, here he comes. We've heard <laughs> yeah. about this guy. One little raise of the eyebrow, and we're all surrendering. Absolutely. Don't, don't look him in the eye. All he does is he just does finger guns and buildings start exploding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Saving Private Ryan style. Pow <laughs> yeah. pow. Anyway, for this particular act of heroism slash stupidity, he was ordered a field decoration or offered sorry a field decoration by Field Marshal Montgomery, which he refused because he thought Montgomery was an incompetent, pompous ass. Fair uh, enough. Fair enough. So, uh, okay. so another example of uh, another example of his badassery. Not only did he hate the Germans, he also hated Monty. <laughs> So we come to we come now to the interval in the story, um, and it's important. This interval it really outlines just what a ridiculous, ridiculous guy Leo was. There was a soldier I can't remember it was Jack Churchill, Mad Jack Churchill, who stormed D Day where with a sword instead of a gun, and was the only recorded man in World War Two to kill someone with a bow and arrow. And he is in the, he Leo is in this level of badassery slash. 1940s madness and eccentricity Um, so anyway the few months pass and um and he's driving along in an armored car driving a chaplain along with a load of of dead german soldiers in the back and and he hits a mine and the vehicle is is completely destroyed it's blown up he's thrown tens of meters from the wreckage and he he wakes up in a field hospital and he's told that he's broken his back in three places he's broken both of his ankles and he's broken several ribs, and the war is now definitely, definitely over for him. He'll probably not be walking again for months, and he'll probably always have problems. So what did he do? He stayed in hospital for precisely a week. And then then he hitched a lift in his passing jeep and went AWOL and hid with the Dutch family for a month until he felt better, and, and then went back to his unit. So he had a total of five weeks off work, with a back broken in three places and two shattered ankles. And then he was he was back being a badass again. God, what would occupational health say about that? Would they be like, you know, two weeks off, and then you can do two hours of being a badass a day for the first couple of weeks. And then probably third or fourth week, he can start doing part days. You know, half days being a badass. Light badassery, though. Just light like, yeah, badassery. Yeah, yeah, none of that single-handed stuff. Use both hands. No, don't break and the then- sweat. <laughs> and then maybe after a couple of months you go you know back into it full swing i think that's what occupational health would say yeah i think i think so but you know you only get two weeks of full sick pay and then you go down to half and you know he had a lifestyle to maintain yeah yeah but anyway he's he's back with his guys and so we come to kind of the grand finale of leo major's story and this was single-handedly capturing an entire city on his own launching a full one-man invasion where where was this? What city was this? This is completely true. It is the Dutch city of Zwolle, which uh, I'm definitely pronouncing wrong. 
pretty sure the Dutch would just look at me like a madman if I said Zwolle to them. Uh, <laughs> I think I know where I don't know where it is on a map, but it starts with a Z and a W, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it's Z W O double L E. Yeah, not a, not a common letter combination in the English language. So I can see why you'd struggle. <laughs> yeah, okay. So what I've done is I've, I've googled it and I've listened to a Google text to speech thing, and Google yes. has said it's pronounced Zvol. So that's what, we, that's what we're going with. It is April 1945. The war is pretty close to being over and Canadian forces are approaching the Dutch city of Zwolle. They are ready for the assault. The big guns, the artillery are lined up, ready to assault the city the next morning with a huge barrage. And Leo and uh, Willie Arsenal. Uh, Still back. Willie's back. Still funny. Yeah, yeah, Willie's back. Willie's back. Back again. Willie's back. Did he have a- Tell a friend. Was this his- was this his best friend? Was was yeah, Willie yeah. Arsenal his Will- best friend? Willie Willie was his best friend. Did he have any other friends? Um, many. Oh, um, he was a very like, pop. He was a very popular man. Like Fanny Hotspur, or I don't know, <laughs> Vagina Chelsea, or someone. <laughs> Fanny Hotspur. <laughs> Fanny Fanny Hot. <laughs> We're both in our thirties. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> You're interrupting my story of heroism, Tom. Sorry, sorry. With, so, with, with gynecological no. slang, Premier League football club. <laughs> Carry on, sorry. Find, find your war hero name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take your preferred genital slang and add your football team to the end. Share and tag your mates in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a yogurt slinging villa. <laughs> Penis Portsmouth. <laughs> oh my god, there's so many opportunities here. <laughs> oh, Volva Villa. <laughs> Snatch Wednesday. <laughs> Lady Garden Thistle. <laughs> I think you need to read out the scores like it's 1995. <laughs> Willie Arsenal 1. <laughs> Funny Chelsea 2. Avatar is that where are you? <laughs> Oh no. Cock City oh. 2. <laughs> Flapstown 4. <laughs> oh dear. How long has this taken up on the podcast now? We've been doing this about 10 minutes. Ages. <laughs> Come on, Let's right. carry on. Let's carry on. Before... <laughs> so, some, but not all of that's getting edited out. Um... <laughs> oh dear, my ears hurt. <laughs> so. <laughs> Leo, Leo, and Willie leave their leave their friends and start heading towards the town of Zwolle. Very shortly afterwards, they come across a roadblock. The Germans open fire, and Willie is killed. Willie is no more. No more Willie. No more Willie. No more be- Tom. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, Leo at this point sees red. The red mist descends, and he goes full on diehard. Absolutely, oh. full on, 
fucking die hard. He picks up Willie's machine gun, takes out this German roadblock, steals their machine gun, and he's still got his own gun on his back as well. And he heads into town, three machine guns strapped on his back, full hot fuzz. This is Rambo. It is properly Rambo. He just decides, right, it's game time. He's going to liberate this city on his own. He's going to do the job. So what do you liberate first when you're liberating a city, Tom? Oh, I don't know. You liberate the pub, Tom. I was about to say, is that a logistical requirement? Is that, you know, is that what they teach people at Sandringham? Uh, yes, I think it is. Okay, okay. There Heart- must be a reason behind it. Hearts and minds. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes, I see what you mean. Okay. Um, so anyway, he, he goes into a nearby bar. There's a German officer drinking in there. And he proceeds to capture this officer. Hold on. Has this German officer been told that Zwoll is under attack? No. He's off duty, just having a drink. He's just having a drink in a bar. Okay, fair enough. Okay. So uh, so Leo captures this guy and says, the Canadians are coming. I'm the Ford party. The Canadians are coming. You've got two options. You can come with me or you can go and tell all of your mates that the Canadians are coming. There's going to be a massive artillery barrage coming your way very soon. Leave the city, run away. And the German, who it turns out speaks French as well as Leo does being French-Canadian, the German says, OK, I'll go and let my mates know and we'll, we'll leave the city. We don't really want to fight. The war's pretty much over. And so Leo lets him go as a sign of goodwill, even gives him his gun back. And so oh, nice. this, this German runs off through the streets starting to sow panic. And, and Leo does the same. So he runs through the streets of the town firing his machine gun blindly into the sky, yelling, shouting, making as much noise as possible, as you do when you're in a fully occupied enemy city on your own, starts lobbing grenades around the corner uh, and into dark alleyways. Every German he comes across, he captures, marches out of the city, delivers to the Canadians, and then picks up more ammunition and grenades, goes back into the city and starts again, which he does about ten times over the course of the night. He just makes loads of noise, scares the shit out of the Germans, captures loads of them, takes them out, gives them to Canadians, goes back in, rinse and repeat. He only stopped to launch a full frontal one-man assault on the SS headquarters because he really didn't like the SS. Um, (laughs) And in the process, foiling a plot to infiltrate the Dutch resistance, he contacts the Dutch resistance, gets in touch with them and tells them what he's doing and that the Germans are going to abandon the city and he's making a shit ton of noise. And sure enough... By nine o'clock the next morning, the city is completely abandoned. He's captured dozens of Germans and he's able to walk back to the Canadian lines in time for breakfast. The attack's called off, guys. Don't worry about it. I've sorted it. Single-handedly captured an entire city from the Germans. What a lad. Why has this not been made into a film? It has in Canada, but it's... It's, he's really well known among the Canadian military and in the French-speaking parts of Canada and in the town of Zvol, where quite a few streets are named after him, but he's absolutely unknown everywhere else. It's just one of those stories of heroism that's been kind of slightly lost over the years. He was given the Distinguished Conduct Medal, uh, one of only a couple of Commonwealth soldiers to receive it for, for his actions. And if that isn't enough, he uh, went back, fought in the Korean War, and got a second Distinguished Conduct Medal for capturing a hill from the North Koreans single-handedly. He died in 2003. What an absolute lad. And what a life wow. he led. Wow. What Did, did the Koreans know? Because presumably they would have just backed off, had they known. I, I think Are when they, they heard that polite Canadian coming... With his finger Those guns are powing. <laughs> yeah. And his little eye are squinting. <laughs> yeah. 
And his, his broken ankles are limping. Indeed. <laughs> there definitely needs to be a ballad about this guy, doesn't there? <laughs> yeah. I might edit beautiful. myself in playing some banjo afterwards. <laughs> Very nice. <clears throat> Little old Leo came across the big old hill. One ankle in plaster and the other working still. <laughs> That's beautiful. That Thanks. Was, that, was, that stirred my soul. In, in the film version of this, Liam Neeson needs to play him. Like he's definitely yes. a Liam Neeson character. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah, just subtly, subtly and modestly badass. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it wouldn't work with Tom Cruise. He just he loves himself too much. That wouldn't work. What he brings to the party is the the badassery of Taken, combined yeah. with the subtle tenderness of Love Actually. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Which oh yes, because he's the one with the with the son in Love Actually, isn't he? He is. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a great combination. That is the story of Leo Major, Tom. Oh, very nice. I did enjoy that, Sam. I'd never heard of him before. That's, that's fascinating. Um, he also stands nicely in contrast to the person that I chose to talk about. So this chap is called Quintus Fabius Maximus Verrucosus. And, uh, <laughs> Maximum Veruca, as he shall well, now be remembered. <laughs> Well, Sam, you have you have uh, jumped ahead of yourself. There oh, sorry, retract and edit out. No, no, that's fine. We'll, we'll come back to that. Who was a, a military commander from the Roman Republic, uh, notorious for being very cautious and a bit boring. Oh, and he was all, what a fascinating yeah. topic and a guy to talk about for a podcast about interesting historical figures. <laughs> Someone worry, who, by your own what... admission, is quite boring. It gets better. Don't worry, it gets better. Well, um, thanks, so. Alec. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't started on a strong note, have I? Uh, it, <laughs> Sell it. Sell it, Tom. No, it's an interesting story. Don't worry. There are lots of fun things going on around him while he's sort of cruising through history, being a bit boring. Um, so he was he was known for being very reserved and conservative with his, his military command when all of those around him were being a lot more hot-headed. So Quintus Fabius Maximus Verrucosus, I'll, I'll call him Fabius, just so it's not quite such a mouthful. Um, he so he everything was a... from coals to halitosis. <laughs> so, so Fabius, so Fabius uh, he was a five-time consul in the Roman Republic and uh, once or twice dictator, depending on which source you're reading. Um, I was, I'm reading Plutarch primarily. I've had a bit of fun reading Plutarch's account of, uh, of Fabius's life. And he says he was dictator once. Um, and he, he rose to prominence during the Second Punic War, which was at the end of the third century BC. And the Second Punic War, well, in fact, all three of the Punic Wars were um, fought between the Roman Republic and um, the Empire of Carthage, which was based in North Africa. And it was a sort of, they were battles for um, supremacy in that area of the Mediterranean. And then after the Punic Wars, Rome went on to be the preeminent power um, in the in the Mediterranean, Carthage is Libya, isn't it? Is that right? Yes, I think it is. I think it is Libya. And at the time of uh, the Second Punic War, they had um, taken quite a lot of land in Spain as well. So, Second Punic War is most famous for the character Hannibal, the military commander from from Carthage, who famously um, took his elephants down through the Alps and into into the into Italian peninsula and sort of uh, ravaged the countryside and was basically a big thorn in the Roman backside. Um, now we can go back to Fabius's name, if you like, Sam. So you you immediately spotted that Verucosus sounds like Veruca. Well, it actually means warty. Oh, it was <laughs> I, I, what I a family name. Beautiful, and I think he was. 
I may be wrong here, but my understanding is um, the Quintus Fabius Maximus, that portion of his name, would have been shared with some relatives. And so Romans would often be given an additional name based on something to do with their appearance. And he had a wart above his lip. So he was called uh, Fabius the Warty, basically. <laughs> my favourite favor of the seven Roman dwarves. <laughs> Fabius the Ward. No Ivan the Terrible or Alexander the Great or Vlad the Impaler. No, he was Fabius the Warty. We're, we're really selling this guy, aren't we? Boring Warty Fabius. <laughs> Boring Warty Fabius. I mean, if you if you had if if you were going to be given a nickname based on something to do with your appearance, wouldn't you want it to be slightly more flattering? You know, yes. could could there not have been something more flattering about Fabius? Maybe some slender ankles. <laughs> or um slender sanculus yeah it's like slender anculus or you know Fabius a, a, maximus a, slimming togus yes 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 absolutely yeah, there's there are so many better things but actually he was also given a name uh, a nickname later on uh, when he began his, his political career and that was cunctator cunctator absolutely which means the delayer because of his military tactics. And originally this was given to him as a bit of an insulting nickname. Um, but when his delaying tactics and his cautious forms of warfare became, um, uh, showed themselves to be actually a, a good tactic against Hannibal, it became more of a flattering nickname. So Cunctator, Fabius Maximus Cunctator. And Sam, I want you to try and use this word um, next week, just in everyday life. So perhaps when you're stuck in traffic on the way to work and someone in front of you is sort of hesitating to get out onto a roundabout, just wind the window down and say, Oi, you fucking cunctator, get on with it. <laughs> and it, it works quite nicely, doesn't it? It, it? Fucking cunctator. It just rolls off the tongue quite nicely. It really does, doesn't it? That's a word we need to start using when the bus is late. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cunctating bus driver. Yeah, or, all right, Dave, you cunctator. Yeah. Oh, sorry, darling. I cunctated first. No, that doesn't work, does it? No. <laughs> no. No, but, no, no, but you, I like you're the... cunctating. I'm not. <laughs> I like the way you. I like the way you wedged a sexual innuendo somehow into that. <laughs> I don't know quite how you managed. I think cunctator sounds a little bit more like a, a root vegetable from a Roald Dahl book. I oh, think it does. You know, yeah, like a snozcumber and a cunctator. Um, anyway, we've wonderfully gone on a, on a tangent. So <laughs> going back what? to history. Uh, yeah. So like I said, I was reading Plutarch's biography of Fabius. Plutarch starts in a wonderful place. And I think most biographies of famous um, historical figures should start this way. It starts on the banks of the Tiber um, with Hercules having it off with a nymph. <laughs> So that, Fabius can, tr can trace his ancestry back to um, some sexual intercourse on the banks of the Tiber with a nymph. And Plutarch does sort of suggest that it could have taken place in Egypt, but when interviewed about it, Hercules was in denial. Oh. <laughs> you planned that for an I entire did. fucking week, haven't you? It took me about a week. Yeah, it's been it taken me about a week. And then, um, yes. Uh, there was also a suggestion it might have taken place in northern, you know, northern Gaul, Sam. Oh. But that concept was just insane. So uh, do you reckon afterwards when he was um, cleaning himself off, he dipped his eye uh, in the Tiber? <laughs> you did. You missed my pun. Oh, I said I'm insane. That was ins you can't, you know, <laughs> you've ruined a perfectly good pun, Sam. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a 
bastard in a can, and I take that back. Oh, dear. We'll have to re-record that bit, because it was so funny, that pun. Do it again. <clears throat> okay, we'll have a little pause and <clears throat> silence. Plutarch also suggested it might have taken place in northern Gaul. Uh, but actually, that suggestion's a bit insane. Slap my knee. I couldn't think of any more river puns, um, to be honest. They, that was the limit of it. Anyway, um, so from a young age, Plutarch tells us that Fabius uh, was a bit misunderstood by his peers because people thought he was a bit slow, a bit submissive, maybe a bit foolish. But in reality, the characteristics he was displaying, they were, they were patience, steadfastness. And he just wasn't particularly enthusiastic about petty things. But as he got older and he got into politics, he became a lot more passionate about it because it was something that was important to him. And we get quite a nice quote, actually. Let me try and find it from, um, from Plutarch. Here we go. Uh, he saw that the conduct of the state was a great task and that wars must be many. He therefore trained his body for the wars, nature's own armour, as it were. And so I think at this point, if it were a film, we would have a nice training montage. We would have a, a nice Roman training montage in the gymnasium with Fabius covered in olive oil and a loincloth uh, pumping iron or wrestling other fellow Romans. So I think that's, what, that's how I picture this. I don't know whether you can get some sort of Rocky music to go on in the background here. Uh, once I've stopped sweating, I'll try and find some. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think it needs to be mildly erotic, but not too erotic. <laughs> So you want me to try and find some remix of Rocky versus the Stripper song? <laughs> yes. I'll try my best. He did do that very well. Sorry, once Fabius got into into politics and once he held some positions of office, Plutarch is is contrasting him on I think about five different occasions with more hot-headed and sort of overly ambitious politicians and the first of those is a chap called Flaminius now I don't know what his nickname was maybe sort of saggy balls or um or big Flemmy Flemmy Flaminius Flemmy Flaminius and he was a consul and uh, there were lots of bad omens at the time like um chilled sweating blood tablets falling from the sky and by tablets I'm guessing they were stone and not you know cheap electronics from China and so this this Flaminius chap, despite all these bad omens around the Roman Republic, decided to fight Hannibal at the Lake Tresemine. And it was a dreadful um, battle for the Romans. They, they lost quite, quite badly. Um, Flaminius himself was killed and 15,000 Romans were killed. Fabius had warned against this. He had been saying, you know, we need to take a more cautious approach to Hannibal because he's, he's a, a fantastic commander with a very well-trained army. And if we just shadow him, you know, make sure he doesn't pinch any of our allies. We just shadow him and get involved in a couple of scuffles and just play a game of chess with him. Eventually, he'll wear out. He's on foreign soil. Eventually, he'll run out of energy and he'll piss off back to Carthage. Fabius was repeating this message throughout his political career, really. Um, but it was a very unfashionable approach to take. Everyone, all the Romans wanted to front up to, to Hannibal and just have it out with him. You know, the Romans are better. We'll, we'll take him on in battle and we'll destroy him. As Romans tended uh, to do. Yeah, well, oh, that was kind of their bag. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, Fabius um, was actually appointed dictator shortly after um, the defeat at Tresemine and also a defeat at Trebia, which happened, I think, a year later. Um, the people of Rome turned to, Fa to Fabius after these two defeats and thought, actually, maybe this guy's onto something. He was appointed dictator. And incidentally, um, in the Roman Republic, there were two consuls. They were elected leaders. And then the dictator was a, um, a position that was um, occasionally given to someone in, in periods of, of need when the Roman Republic thought they needed a strong person just to take control sort something out and then they could go back to their um their two consul system um so rome was under threat from hannibal he was on the doorstep ravaging the countryside what do you do sam what do you do in that situation uh, you hide tom you hide like the coward you are <laughs> well <laughs> that is kind of what people thought fabius was doing to be honest he saw what happened to flaminius and he saw that flaminius had ignored the bad omens so Fabius decided to um, sacrifice an entire year's increase in goats, pigs, sheep, and cattle, which I can't see. I can't see as being a particularly sensible thing to do um, when <laughs> your country. That's very specific. Yeah. Oh, you think that's specific? You wait. Um, they also decided to have a festival. You know, while they're almost on on the brink of being conquered, um, they decided to hold a festival, and the cost of the festival was to be three hundred and thirty-three sestertia. 333 denarii and some other figure with threes in it so i can't help but feel that flaminius was potentially a little bit ocd um or a very fucking mad yeah <laughs> just bonkers when your back's against the wall when you're up against the ropes when you've got a foreign power in your land what you don't fucking do is burn all your food absolutely and then spend lots of money on a party Kill all your food and have a massive party yeah it's a very odd approach. But anyway, Fabius's military tactics were adopted and they continued. They just shadowed Hannibal's forces, very much the origins of guerrilla warfare here, incidentally. Um, and you may have heard of um, Fabian strategy. That's a well-known term. And that refers to these, this style of warfare that Fabius not necessarily invented. I think that's a, a tough thing to say, but um, a style of warfare that he endorsed. Um, Fabius was seen as very cowardly by the Carthaginians and the Romans. In fact, the, probably one of the only people who didn't think it was cowardly was Hannibal, because Hannibal understood what Fabius was trying to do. When Fabius was appointed dictator, um, Minucius was um, appointed uh, master of horse, which is a fantastic title, isn't it? Master of horse. And Minucius... The Romans weren't very good at horses, were they? The Romans had a really bad reputation, I, I remember from my doing history, that the Roman cavalry were basically just toffs on horses who had absolutely <laughs> no clue what they were doing and, and I, I, quite quickly got absolutely rinsed in any battle they went into. I'm willing to accept that, Sam. I, I, I don't know any better than that, but it certainly sounds like that during the Second Punic War. They actually, at the end of the Punic War, and there was the Battle of Zama, it's my understanding that they managed to to um, negotiate with the Numidians and get the Numidian cavalry on their side, which was, um, you know, a, a massive positive, if you, like you say, and I can believe it, that they had crap cavalry themselves. So Master of the Horse Minucius was getting a little bit fed up of Fabius's tactics, and he just wanted, he wanted to have a fight. He wanted to get stuck into the Carthaginians. And here's a nice little quote. We can all learn from this, actually, Sam. This is a serious moment in this podcast. I should be a greater coward than I am now held to be if through fear of abusive jests I should abandon my fixed plans and verily the fear which one exercises in behalf of his country is not shameful but to be frightened from one's course by the opinions of men and by their slanderous censures that marks a man unworthy of so high an office as this and I think that's a you know I think that's a good a good moral for life isn't it it is although I do fear that it translates in modern parlance to strong and stable which <laughs> 
<laughs> which, yeah. which as, a, as a Brit at the current time, I don't know if ever people are going to listen to this, but with the clock very firmly ticking down towards Brexit, strong and stable is a <laughs> somewhat poison chalice phrase. Use, use the B word, Sam. Don't, don't use the B word. I, won't, I, I will not use the B word again. Yeah, so we've got Minucius. Um, we've got Minucius not particularly happy with Fabius's tactics, and then we have an incident where Hannibal has a bit of a cock-up, a rare cock-up. Uh, he has some local scouts, and he tells them, "Take me to this place that starts with C." And uh, the scouts starting with C part of the story, or is starting with C the fact that you can't pronounce the name of this town? It's just it's not the information's not really worthwhile, Sam. I mean, I can try. It's a cat. <laughs> Cassinum. So it's, the place was Cassinum. He wanted to go to the district of Cassinum. And uh, unfortunately, his scouts misheard him and took him to the district of Cassilinum. You see, I mean, oh. easy mistake to make, isn't it? Um, what so a he mistake find- to make. Oh, so he- Animal, I'm sorry. Is I it thought your you accent? Said- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, so you don't go over there. The pasta very bad. My mama has a place in here. You go in here, you have a nice time. He could have chosen better guides, couldn't he, really? <laughs> As opposed to stereotypical and, frankly, slightly racist interpretations of Italians. Yeah. yeah. Why don't we try a North African accent, Sam? Is that slightly more racist? Is that riskier? Did you I... North Af- <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not go there. <laughs> so, so Hannibal finds himself in the wrong place. He finds himself in a strategically very weak position because he's gone to the wrong place. Fabius picks up on this, blocks the only exit from this area of the Italian countryside, and Hannibal's thinking, oh, fuck, I'm stuffed. But this is where we get some of the genius of Hannibal, because what he does, first of all, he crucifies the guides. I mean, I think that's only just. And then what he does, he, f- he gets 2,000 cattle, sets a light to their horns, and at nighttime sends them with a few people up to the pass. And so you've got some Romans guarding this pass, and they see all these people, what they think they see is people marching up towards the pass. The cattle start to get burnt. The sort of flames are burning down towards their heads. The cattle then go apeshit and start just running around the countryside in, in a crazed manner, which strikes terror into the Romans. The Romans think, what the fuck is going on here? And they leave. And so in this way, Hannibal manages to get himself out of this position. Uh, presumably, he goes through the pass that is now left unoccupied. It gets out of this very unpleasant predicament. I'm not a vegetarian, but I can't help but feel that the real victims of the Second Punic War were cows. All of them for a year get slaughtered, and then the ones that survive that get set on fire by Hannibal. And sent up to a pass. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Hannibal, I don't think, was very nice to uh, animals. Or guys. Um, I think how- or guides. I'm not sure how many of his elephants got through the Alps either. Didn't he arrive with about three? He, he left off with about 30. You know, <laughs> yeah. about three the- anyway, so so Hannibal gets out of this situation and that does not look very good for Fabius. He's, he's selling himself as a master tactician and a very patient general. And he's just been outgeneraled by Hannibal. And so that does not go down very well. So Minucius, master of the horse, uses this as his opportunity. Fabius goes back to Rome. Minucius is out sort of uh, shepherding Hannibal um, under strict guide not to engage in any battles. Um, while Fabius is away, what does Minucius do? He engages in a battle. And this actually, I don't know whether you know this, but this is punishable by death. Um, if you're the, the dictator, if, if someone doesn't follow their command, Fabius was well within his rights to kill Minucius for this. However, the Roman people made their voice known and said, look, please don't do that. We quite like Minucius. Um, he did quite well in this battle a little while ago that you didn't want him to engage in. 
And so they elect the two of them as co-dictators. And I can't help but feel that that's no different to having consuls. I'm not entirely sure how two dictators is going to work. Surely you can only have one mad bastard running a country. Possibly his son as well, doing a bit of work on the sideline, coaching the national football team or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely coaching the national football team. That's what Um, they all do. That's what all dictators' sons do. They coach a national football team. Yeah. Give me an example. Go on. I want uh, to know Saddam, more. I, Saddam Hussein's sons coached the football did team. They? Yeah, so did, uh, so did Gaddafi's sons. Stalin's son, if uh, the death of Stalin is to be believed, was the coach of the uh, Soviet hockey team. If you've got an errant, troublesome son, you set them off with a national sporting team. Torture the players when they lose. Yeah, but that's, that's, it's nice that they take after their father a little bit, isn't it? It is. It's learning the, fam- learning the family trade. <laughs> yeah, learning the family trade. So anyway, Minucius and Fabius, they're now in joint command. And what they do is they actually just split um, the Roman army. So they split the Roman army half and half. Now, what we get, this is another example of Fabius being right, you know, someone else being hot-headed and getting it wrong. Oh, fucking smart-ass warty. I know. So, so Minucius um, sets out to uh, take control over a hill that looked like it was going to be very strategically valuable. However, Hannibal was laid in ambush. Hannibal gives Minucius a bit of a spanking, ambushes his forces, surrounds him, and Fabius um, is looking on from afar with his portion of the army, thinking, oh dear, here we go. I knew this was going to happen. In fact, quote, he smote his thigh and with a deep groan said to the bystanders, Hercules, how much sooner than I expected, but later than his own rash eagerness demanded, has Minucius destroyed himself. And Sam, when you're calling someone a fucking cunctator next week, I'd like you to smite your thigh and potentially <laughs> exclaim Hercules as well. I must tell the listeners that I do live in uh, in Manchester and I think I might get slightly shanked for that, depending on where I do it. <laughs> do you not think any of them know who Hercules is or was? I think it's cunctator is good. <laughs> <laughs> the cunk- the, yeah, the cunctator is the risky word. Okay, so Minucius, saved by Fabius. So Fabius comes down into the battle with his half of the army, gets Minucius out of trouble. Minucius is forever grateful because he had actually started to panic and sort of shown his true colours. He basically puts his hands up to Fabius and says, sorry, mate, I got it wrong. You were right. I fucked up. Hey, thanks for thanks for saving me. So what we've got now is Fabius and Minucius, they end their dictatorship. And we have two new consuls, Terentius Varro and Paulus Aemilius. Um, we could have a go at their nicknames, if you like. What would we have for Terentius Varro? Ooh, something wheelbarrow. I can do better than this, I promise. <laughs> Let's go to the other one first and we'll come back. Paulus Aemilius. They had big noses, didn't they? We could have Paulus Big Nose. All oh, right, we're not we're not doing anything that actually rhymes with their nickname. That makes that makes life easier. Paulus Nobed. <laughs> nice. That's his, I see what you did there. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so we've got Terentius Varro and Paulus Aemilius as consuls. They are very hot headed again. They want a fight. They put together oh, the they biggest. They never bloody learn the bloody Romans, do they? You're getting the hang of it, Sam. You're learning, and you've only heard about this for the last twenty minutes. I am learning, Tom. Uh, You'd think these other guys would know better, but they put together the largest army, by all accounts twice as big as anything the Romans had ever put into into the field of battle. 80,000 men, I think it was. Huge. Huge I, oh, army. Just the biggest it, army. So they get this army together, and 
Fabius says, look, this is not a good idea. What happens if we get defeated? You've got all these men. I'm not sure Rome can cope with losing this many men in one battle. All you've got to do is make one mistake. Um, and this is the famous Battle of Cannae. So, Ruh-roh. Uh-oh, we know I, what's I'm coming. Gonna, I, I'm going to put a proper sound effect in there. Yes, yes. We know about the Battle of Cannae, one of the bloodiest battles in ancient warfare. Um, but before we get to, to the, the nitty-gritty of the battle, this, now this Sam, if you thought my river puns were funny, I would just wait for this anecdote. The first time I read this Literally part... Literally clenching my buttocks oh, and holding my arms into my seat. I, I, I was on the floor wriggling around in fits of hysterics when I first heard this. So I'm just going to go word to word from Plutarch because I cannot do it justice if I try and sort of describe the incident myself. So we have, instead, this is the situation. We've got Hannibal with some of his commanders looking down at the Roman forces and a lot of them, 80,000 of them. And there's a chap called Gisco. When one of his... <laughs> it's starting to look good. Disco <laughs> yeah. uh, Gisco. That could be his nickname. Disco, Gisco, hey Hannibal. Uh, so, <laughs> when one of his companions named Gisco, a man of his own rank, remarked that the number of the enemy amazed him, Hannibal put on a serious look and said, Gisco, another thing has escaped your notice, which is more amazing still. And when Gisco asked what it was, it is the fact, said he, that in all this multitude there is no one who is called Gisco. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, I was hoping for something. I mean, it's, it's it's kind it's kind of a funny story. I was hoping for more along the lines of, I'm not wearing any pants. <laughs> I think this is actually um, in in all of um, ancient historical literature. This is the best bit of evidence to indicate that in ancient Roman Greece they didn't have the channel Dave, because this is what happened after this jest. Let me again, word for word. The jest took them all by surprise and set them laughing. And as they made their way down from the ridge, they reported the pleasantry to all who met them, so that great numbers were laughing heartily, and Hannibal's escort could not even recover themselves. The sight of this infused courage into the Carthaginians. They were pissing themselves. He's the only one in all of those, and there's only one Gisco. <laughs> hey, it's, get not, it. it's not two, it's only the one Gisco in it. It's so him. It- it's A-A. It's fucking loads of him. But one of you. Get it? Get Shit it? Shit me. And so he's not you... wearing any pants. <laughs> so if you thought Hannibal was all, you know, crucifying stereotypical Italians, you're wrong. You know, he had a tender, he had a funny side. He didn't just crucify cattle and guides. He crucified no. the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, many of you will know about what happens at the Battle of Cannae, and we've got quite a nice description from Plutarch. Um, essentially, the Roman forces were so strong um, that uh, Hannibal, classic tactic apparently, finds a, a area of land to uh, engage in battle that's narrow, so it, it sort of reduces the, the, the front of the larger force. So the Romans were sort of squeezed together a wee bit. Hannibal places his weakest mercenary troops at the centre and his strongest flanking them what then happens is the romans push forward uh push through the weaker mercenary forces and essentially push themselves into a position where they're flanked uh, we then get the numidian cavalry 
the Numidian cavalry again, go around the outside, defeat um, the Roman cavalry, as you said, who are notoriously shit. They go around the back, defeat the other flank of cavalry, and uh, the Roman forces are completely hemmed in, all 80,000 of them. And depending on the source that you read, as many as, I think, 65, 70,000 Romans were killed. Ridiculous numbers of Romans were slaughtered in this in this battle, including masses of the political class, including... Flaminius. Flaminius was at this battle and uh, and was killed. A massive fuck up. A massive fuck up for the Romans. Who do the Romans turn to after this? Oh, Warty. Warty Fabius. They, they they go. Oh, sorry, Fabius. We fucked up again because we didn't listen to you. Can you help us out of a pickle? And so Fabius is the man they turn to, and he's he's a very strong-willed individual, Fabius. And he, he goes around Rome, reassuring everyone, saying it's going to be okay. We're going to sort this out. Um, Sorry about all of your sons. Yes, yes. By the way, my understanding is instantly that after after Cannae, I think what the Romans had to do is they had to lower. Did they have to lower the the age that you could fight in the army, and they had to let prisoners fight, and they had to do all sorts of things to be able to get um, an, an army back up. I've just had a mem- I've just had a kind of a mental image of him walking around the town, apologising to all of the mothers whose sons have just been killed, and knocking on one door and going, oh, "I'm so sorry, Mrs. Gis- Mrs. Gisco." Hang on a second. Oh! Who Dis- <laughs> <laughs> was wrong? Fabius retakes the city of Tarentum using some some clever tactics, and Hannibal himself had taken the city of Tarentum by being a bit of a clever clogs. At this point, uh, again, I, I think I'll quote Plutarch. At this point, Hannibal's starting to realise that um, actually his position in Italy is pretty tricky. Quote, but that in private he was then for the first time led to confess to his friends that he had long seen the difficulty and now saw the impossibility of their mastering Italy with their present forces. So this tactic from Fabius had been working. He'd worn Hannibal down as he said he would. That's pretty much the story of Fabius. In fact, interestingly, he, he dies pretty much as Hannibal leaves um, the Italian peninsula. Um, his final rivalry, political rivalry, was with uh, Scipio Africanus, who was the new boy on the scene and was very brash and, and eager for fight, but had a different tactic, which was to actually attack the Carthaginians first in Spain, then in North Africa, which ended with the Battle of Zama. So Scipio uh, was slightly different, but he actually, in the end, his hot-headedness and his military genius was actually what defeated Hannibal. But that came on the back of all the hard work of Fabius. So Fabius dies pretty much as, as Hannibal is leaving Italy. So there is the story of Fabius. His long wait is over. There you go. And do you know Fabian societies? Have you ever heard of Fabian societies? I have. Are they named after him? Absolutely. They're they're socialist societies that believe in a sort of slow um, move towards socialism. They don't believe in, you know, big political upheavals or anything like that. And so they they took the name Fabius, Fabian society. So there you go. Interesting. Thanks for sharing, Tom. I learned something today. I did as well. I I learned about Fanny Arsenal. No, what was Fanny Chelsea? (laughs) Willie Arsenal. Roger Tottenham. <clears throat> oh dear. I think we should probably leave it on that, shouldn't we? Um, should we should we set a topic for next week? Should we do that on air? Oh, okay, go for it. I haven't really thought that through. Oh. Do we do luck, be that good luck or bad luck, or do you want to do Eureka Moments? Let's do Eureka Moments. And we're going to do Eureka sli- Moments. Cool. Let's do that. We're going to have to be slightly more inventive than, you know, the, the bath. Was that Archimedes in the bath? Or was it Aristotle? I think it was Archimedes, wasn't it? One of one of a Greek. A Greek with a name starting A. Well, um, we're both coughing and spluttering away. Me because it's January and you, I 
think probably because I'm doing it. Um, hey fever. <laughs> you psychologically it, picked it. Hay fever. Oh, my microphone is covered in snot right now. <laughs> Ripping off it. Oh, dear. And on that charming mental note, that's goodbye <laughs> from us for this week. This was the As Yet Unnamed pilot of the As Yet Unnamed History podcast. And if you're listening to this at some point six months down the line, thanks for tuning in.